It's, um, it's hard to believe, but our series, Body Image, is coming to an end today. You know, after spending one whole year in one series, a four-week series feels like it just flies by, and in so many we- ways, it feels like we've, we've just begun to dip our toes into what it means to be the body of Christ. But if we, if we step back for just a moment, we've actually covered a lot over the last three weeks. You see, we began our journey by looking at Paul's letter to the house churches of Corinth, that incredibly diverse, booming city where the influence of culture was beginning to seep into the church in a city where there was a a clear demarcation between the rich and the poor, the slave and the free, the Jew and the Gentile, the truth from St. Paul drops like a grace bomb. Uh, He says this, for we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, And we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. In that opening week, we discover that every single person enters into the body in the same way. That there is no power grid, no no strata of power. There is one body that is made up of different parts. Or another way to think about it, Paul is saying, in a community, in a community where Christ and his cross are at the center, all must be equally respected regardless of their class, their ethnicity, or their gender. And remember, Paul says in 1 Corinthians, there's to be no body shaming Uh, You don't get to say to yourself, because I'm not like them, or I don't do this, then I don't belong. But nor can you say to others, because you're not like me, and you don't do this, you don't belong. Remember, we are, as Paul says, all broken people, every single one, a broken people who has been beautifully restored by Jesus, like those kintsugi pots. Jesus restores the shards of who we are, sealing them together, not in gold, but by his blood in order to create one thing, a body where he is the head. That was just week one. In week two, Pastor Adam helped us to explore the gift, but, but also the challenge of presence. You see, one of the values of being in the body of Christ is offering full presence to another person, a full presence in spite of our preference. Uh, This is, after all, what Christ offered to us. He left the throne room of heaven to be fully present with humanity, to be present among sinners. And while his preference might have been to stay in the comforts and the splendor of the Father's glory, he chose rather to be present with you and with me, sinners though we are. So that through his work on the cross and resurrection, you and I, we get to be present with him forever. 
Presence is both a gift, but also a challenge. See, last week we explored what it means to be committed, standing shoulder to shoulder, having been adorned in the armor of the Messiah to stand against the principalities of evil and the onslaught of the enemy. That that commitment might mean our discomfort. Well, today, friends, we wrap up a series by jumping into another letter by the Apostle Paul, this time the letter to the Roman church, chapter 12, which Jeff read just moments ago. So I want you to grab a Bible and come with me to Romans chapter 12. You can use the Bible you brought, the one that's in the pew, you can use the paper, the digital, doesn't matter to me. Uh, But we're going to go to Romans chapter 12. And though the reading today began at verse 9, we're going to back up to verse 1 just to get ourselves a little bit of context. So Romans chapter 12, we're going to start this morning at verse 1. Now, as you find your place, we are again jumping into a book without a lot of context. So again, let me summarize uh, and honestly just simplify uh, the first 11 chapters of Romans. Romans, Romans is a pretty thick book that takes quite a bit of time to unpack, but it's absolutely worth the work, but it is, it is nevertheless work to get through it. Uh, But the long and the short of Romans is Paul is doing two things. Uh, First, he's arguing that we, as human beings, are creatures of wrath. Uh, Because of sin, and that sin which has been passed down to us from Adam and Eve, we are not in a right relationship with God. The relationship between God and humanity is just jacked up. And so the book of Romans, the first 11 chapters, Paul spends time not only telling us that this is true, but also that God has put us into a right relationship with himself through the rightness of Jesus's relationship to God. Let me say that again, because that's a lot. God put us into a right relationship with himself through the rightness of Jesus' relationship to God. Another way to say this is that Jesus is our substitute, that he, he has lived the life that we were called to, but unable to. Jesus takes our place, living that life, and dying the death we deserve so that you and I can be in a right relationship with God. God has put us back into a right relationship through the rightness of Jesus' relationship with the Father. And it's in this miraculous working of God's spirit in baptism that mysteriously connects us to both Christ's death and his resurrection. In other words, on account of Christ, you and I, we have been made whole. And, Paul says, we have been released from the burdens of God's law. Released to live, to live freely in the life of the Spirit, that full and abundant life that Jesus speaks about in John chapter 10. And so here we are then in chapter 12, where Paul makes a significant shift. Now, how do I know he makes this shift? Because chapter 11 ends with what word? 
I'm actually asking. It ends with, Amen. And every preacher knows that you have to be really, really careful with the word amen. Because if you, if you say it too early, everybody leaves because they think the service is over. They, they know there's significant shift at amen. So chapter 11 wraps up this beautiful, beautiful kind of poem of blessing and doxology there at the end of chapter 11, and he says amen. In other words, Paul is wrapping up the section of Christ's work and is now turning our attention to what our response is to Christ's work. What does our life look like now, knowing that the first 11 chapters are true? So here we go, we're gonna dig in. Verse one, this is what Paul says. He says, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and your proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So let's back up here for just a minute, back to verse one. I urge you, sisters and brothers, now listen, in view, in view of God's mercy, uh, that's code for in view of the last 11 chapters that I just talked to you about. In view of what Christ has done for you and me, in view of Christ being our substitute, in view of though we were sinners, Christ would still die for us, in view of God so loving the world that he would send his one and only son, Jesus, so that you and I might have life. In view of that then, Paul is saying, in view of that, offer your bodies as living sacrifice holy and pleasing to God. This is true worship. Now Paul, Paul is using the word body here with intentionality. He needs not only the Christians in Rome, but he needs you and I to see that we offer more to God than just our soul. For the most part, in my upbringing, I think what I believed God was owed was simply my soul, rather than also my mind and also my body. What Paul is saying is in view of God's mercy, in view of those first 11 chapters, in view of the work that Christ has done on our behalf, we offer our whole selves back to him, our bodies and our minds, our souls, and our spirits, we offer all of us the whole thing, not only to him in worship, but to the service of our neighbor. Now, where would Paul get such a crazy idea that we should offer all of ourselves, not only to the Father, but in service of our neighbor? Well, he sees this idea in the very life of Christ, 
who offered not just his soul, but his whole self, both in life and in death. He offers his whole self for the Father and for you and for me. So if, church, if we're going to live in view of God's mercy, if we're going to live in view of Christ's work on a cross and empty tomb, if we're going to live in view of the truth of the first 11 chapters of Romans, then we have to offer our whole selves back, not only to the Father, but also to the service of our neighbor. Paul says this, this is true and proper worship. He goes on, he says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but rather be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We see this new way of offering our whole selves as worship, both to the Father and to the community. It's not easy. And the world and the culture around us, and believe you me, the enemy wants us to walk away from this new kind of life. The world and the culture and even the enemy doesn't want us to offer our whole selves to God and to those around us. Paul is warning you and me to pay attention so that we are not conformed to the thinking of the world, which is just offer enough, just offer a little bit, just offer a piece, just offer only what you can afford, just offer just a pinch. Paul is warning you and me to be aware that there is this slippery slope, that we can be easily conformed to the pattern of the world. But rather, Paul says, we should be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In other words, a coming again and again and again and again, a knowledge of mind of what Christ has done for us, a knowledge in our minds of the gospel to know, to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that his work of cross and resurrection is for our good and for our life. Do not be conformed, Paul says, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and then you'll be able to test what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. This is the outset of how it is we are to live within the context of the body of Christ. To live as the body of Christ is to offer our whole selves, not only to the Father, but also to one another. Paul goes on in verses three through eight to talk in similar language to Corinthians, to 1 Corinthians, that we, we are a body. And though there are many members, we form one body, and all of us, as we offer ourselves fully, offer our gifts back to each other. And then finally, he gets to verse 9. Now, when we get to verse 9... I kind of feel like Paul is putting up the list of rules for roommates. Have you ever seen those lists? Like, like I, we had a list when I was a roommate with my first roommate, Matt. There was a list of things that we agreed to live by. There were like 
four of them. Most of them had to do with body odor, but, but nevertheless, right, there, there were rules that we followed. I, I feel like Paul is sort of placing in the hands of the body of Christ the rules by which we are going to live together. And they are, they are rules. These are all imperatives. It is a list of demands from Paul. And so let's just look at them together. Number one, love must be sincere. Well, that sounds beautiful, but what does he mean? Well, we could import from Paul's letter to the Corinthians chapter 13, which we hear so often in wedding messages or at weddings. This love is patience and it's kind. It doesn't envy, it doesn't boast, it's not proud. That's beautiful language, and I I get why Hallmark might want to put it on a card, but what does it mean? That love is long-suffering, that it doesn't speak words of unkindness, that it always takes the position of humility. Love always trusts that I have what I need. Paul says here, love, that kind of love, a whole person love must be sincere. Rule number two, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Rule number three, be devoted to one another in love. Rule number four, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Rule five, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Rule six, share with the Lord's people who are in need. Rule seven, practice hospitality. Rule eight, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rule nine, rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. Rule 10, live in harmony with one another. Rule 11, do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not think of yourself as superior. Rule 13, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Rule 14, be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. Rule 15, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Rule 16, do not take revenge, my dear friends but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, the next rule, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Finally, do not overcome, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the rule book for living as the body of Christ. And it is, friends, it is one in which we have to offer our whole selves. This list is intense. And like last week, we probably don't have what it takes in us to do it. You and I probably can't follow all these rules to perfection. 
Though we want to, though we have the best of intentions, we fall short. And yet, all of these things are in view, Paul says, of God's mercy. It's in view of what Christ has done for us. We shouldn't be discouraged. We shouldn't conform, but be transformed by the truth that Christ has worked in us, both for the death of our sin and life here on earth and life eternal. Love must be sincere. Love must be kind and long-suffering, a position of humility. And you and I, friends, are to be devoted to one another in it. I think Paul's kind of parting words here, particularly in verse 12, are words that, that you and I can hold on to, not only today, but, but every day. When we live in the body of Christ, when we offer ourselves fully to the service of the Lord and to one another, then we can live, as Paul says, joyful in hope. Joyful in hope. For those of you who are a part of the adult Bible study, and we're working through the book of Ephesians, we talked last week a little bit about hope. We, we use the word hope in all kinds of ways when you and I are out in the world in the rest of our weeks. Hope sometimes is, is understood as a wish. Like as a, as a Jenison fan, I, I hope Jenison beats Hudsonville. Like, that's a wish, friends. That is uncertain. I don't want to look back here for any kind of reason. Hope, in the context of the Scriptures, it's not a wish, but it rests on the certainty the certainty of what Christ has done for you and me. It rests on the story already being written. Our hope rests on the work of Christ Jesus. Or as the hymn sings, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Friends, as we, you and I, live in this body together, and as we live in the world one with another, there will be plenty of times that our hope will waver. And you and I, we need one another to remind us that our hope is not a wish, but it is an anchor for our soul. That you and I, we need to remind each other of our hope in Christ Jesus. Paul also says, you and I, we ought to be patient in affliction. No doubt you and I will run up against suffering and hardship and hurt and brokenness. But because we are in the body and because we offer our whole selves to one another, we commit, we follow the rule of being with one another in our hurt 
and our brokenness. I'm always moved, church, when I get onto HC community. And people there are putting their prayer requests for one another. And I'm always moved when you, God's people, respond, either by typing out the prayer you're going to pray, by committing to praying for whatever that prayer request is. Our most, our most active posts on HC community are prayer posts. See, we need one another in our affliction. If we're going to long suffer together, if we're going to be patient, you and I will need one another. We'll need each other for hope, for patience in our affliction, and the encouragement finally to be faithful in prayer. You and I You and I need one another, not just parts of one another, not just a little bit of one another, not just souls. We need our whole selves. We need, you and I, we need each other, body, mind, and spirit, so that we can live this new life which Paul describes in Romans chapter 12. Friends, this life until we see Jesus face to face is full of ups and downs. It's full of joys and sorrows. It's full of laughter and it's full of weeping. But in it all, in it all we have hope. In it all we walk in faith. In it all we have not only the love of God in Christ Jesus, but the love of one another. And so let us live this life in the body today and until we see Jesus face to face. Amen? And so may the peace of God, which surpasses all human understanding, may guard and keep our hearts in Christ today and every day. Amen.